0: Unlock the best of the world with Trafalgar. Book your next vacation with up to 15% off top-selling tours and explore trending worldwide destinations like Portugal, Egypt, Japan, and Italy while enjoying one-of-a-kind experiences along the way. To unlock savings, contact your travel advisor today. Call Trafalgar at 866-513-1995 or visit trafalgar.com slash deals. That's T-R-A-F-A-L-G-A-R dot slash deals. Alrighty, welcome into the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepesby, joined as I always am by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Gentlemen, we just watched Media Day unfold, some of us through Zoom, some of us through Twitter while we did our day jobs, and we have a whole lot of stuff to discuss. The elephant in the room, of course, being all the COVID news that came out of Boston's Media Day and Media Day across the league, so we will get to that and we will talk about what we learned about the Celtics from Media Day 2021. But first, Justin, Alex, how are you doing?
1: Let's see. Um, This week I am working on setting my students up for a fun project about uh, colonialism in Africa. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Berlin Conference, Wild Times um let's see uh like the
0: show what are you doing
1: plug the show yeah 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 you're right i should plug the show um so the big thing is that there's a lot of divine sweater stuff happening uh once again if you like the music that you heard just now at the intro that's my band divine sweater uh we're really good and having a great time playing shows speaking of which if you are for whatever reason, a Washington area resident, Washington, DC area resident listening to the Celtics Lab podcast, and you're just really invested in whatever is going on in Boston Celtics world. Um, We are playing a show this Friday at DC9 with our friends, the Crystal Casino Band, uh, that's in Washington, DC. Please come out, we'd love to see you there. Uh, It's gonna be a really, really, really fun show. And there's going to be more shows for you, Boston area people. That's coming up pretty soon. We'll make more announcements about those as they come out. But lots of divine sweater things popping off. There's
2: going to be a lot of stuff related to Washington DC and the future of Celtics. Mm -hmm. That is what we call a teaser. I am doing fine. There is no construction. My back is mostly healed. Uh, For those of you who are wondering, I don't know why you're wondering about my back, but I was complaining about it on Twitter. So.
0: Things are looking up. How about you? Anyone who has just found this podcast has, must be so confused. Already tuned out. <laughs> yeah, already tuned out. Welcome to this podcast. We talk about all things Boston Celtics as three <laughs> curmudgeonly weird teachers. All right, uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. My students are learning about economic systems, and they have more questions than answers, because so do I. Anyways, we will start with a little bit of news around the league and some Celtics bookkeeping and then we're going to jump in we have five key takeaways from media day and with time permitting we'll talk about media day beyond Boston and we will of course make reference to many different COVID storylines in Boston and beyond starting with friend of the show Matt Sullivan and his explosive Rolling Stone piece which feels like a lifetime ago but I think came out like 48 hours ago so if you think that we are Abdicating our responsibility talking about COVID. It's coming later in this episode, no doubt. And as Justin alluded to before, we've got something hopefully very special in the works. So stay tuned for our, our grandstanding. Anyways, let's just quickly talk about some Celtics roster news, specifically the full training camp roster was announced. Ryan Archie Diacono. Garrison Matthews, Theo Pinson, and Juan Morgan have been signed to the training camp roster, the full 20-man roster. Archie's not two-way eligible. Luke Cornette was notably not on this list. Justin, can you talk us through why that is the case?
2: He's also not two-way eligible. He's got more than four years' experience in the league, exactly four, if I'm not mistaken. There is some reporting for from a Chris Grenham that he will be signing an Exhibit 10 to keep his rights in the Celtic system, presumably to go to the main Celtics, who I am proud I did not call the main Red Claws. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing since there is a 20-man limit and they're at it, what's going to end up happening is they'll just find out uh, who they really are definitely not going to be signing. Once they've cut him, they'll sign Luke before the season starts. So they have his rights.
1: And to that effect, Justin, I think one thing to keep an eye on is that um, Ryan Archdiacno and Garen, Garrison Matthews very much kind of do the same things. Uh, they are both guys who can come off the bench, hit a corner three, take a couple of dribbles, but not too many dribbles. They're not particularly great on defense, but if you need okay. a plug and play corner three shooter for about, you know, six minutes of game time, they're perfectly fine at that. So I would bet... If we're just looking at this 20-man roster and who's going to get cut uh, in order to sneak Luke Cornett on for those purposes, it, it's probably pick one between Archie of and Garrison Matthews.
0: I mean, I, for, I was going to say I'm rooting for the Arch of Dimes just because it's, it's such a great nickname.
2: I'm rooting for Garrison Matthews just because he may not be great at defense, but he really, really tries. He can shoot. He's got a little bit of size so he can play up a bit. He's probably the most flexible player of them all. And like, if you're going to have this guy on the, well, any of these guys in the roster, it's going to be somebody you want to be able to kind of fill in when you need them. I don't think any of them at their ages at this point are going to have any kind of like real serious growth. I think they're all like 25 at the youngest, if I'm not mistaken. I think mm-hmm. it's probably going to be Theo Pinson if anyone gets cut. I think Jawan Morgan has some potential as a defensive stopper, even though he's not much of an offensive player. So I think any of those th- other three could could end up making it. Um, sorry, Theo. I, I, maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. Maybe we'll find out. But um, I think it's probably – if you had to ask me, I think it's Garrison Matthews who makes it.
1: I would be sad if they cut Theo Pinson, primarily because Theo Pinson – I've watched a little bit of Theo from his New York Knicks and New York and uh, Brooklyn Nets days. and oh, he brings – Energy Theo is one of the best towel waiver bench guys (laughs) in the NBA at this point, and I think he would just be an electric, like 15th man to have on this team.
0: All right, well, let's let's hop into the meat and potatoes because so far we've talked about high school curriculums, ailing backs, and 20 man rosters for the Boston Celtics. Let's jump into media day, and again, we'll pick this thread back up, but first and foremost. I think the most important takeaway is that uh, head coach Eme Odoka is on day 11, I think, of a COVID, positive COVID case. So, Justin, can you just give us an update there, and then we'll actually talk about media day?
2: Well, he was actually present for media availability after training camp practice today. So it seems that he's done isolating. And from my understanding that if he, he was – Described in some corners as mostly asymptomatic, but he also said he was never sick. Uh, off, off, not not to the, the media, but like to someone else in the gym who's talking to him about it. So it doesn't seem like it was a particularly serious case, but the, just that he tested positive and they were making sure that nothing else came of it.
0: Okay, well that's good, and it's probably our most important takeaway is that that's just going to be a thing this season. So let's. Pretend like it's not for a moment. Let's talk about some fun basketball-related things. And spoiler alert, our fifth thing is the state of COVID in the NBA and with the Celtics. But the first thing that I think we can take away from media day that we learned about the Boston Celtics is that, COVID notwithstanding, this looks like a healthy Boston Celtics team. Justin, you were there by way of Zoom. Alex and I were not by way of our day jobs. So I'll let you go first, Justin. First of all, confirm or deny that this is a relatively healthy Celtics team. And second, what was what was the mood at Media Day like?
2: The vibes were mostly upbeat and enthusiastic, particularly Rob Williams. We can talk about him. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Al Horford, were other other figures who looked particularly excited about what was going on uh, with this coming season. And yeah, I don't know, it seemed mostly positive, but yeah, there were definitely like, if if someone brought up the word vaccination, for example, there were certain players who definitely responded um, a little more creeped out than others. And I'll let you guess who those those people are. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, in the brief bit that I did watch while I was supposed to be working, One thing that stood out to me is just how much happier Al Horford is to be back in Boston. That guy. So some reports came out yesterday saying that when the Thunder told Al last season that they were planning on uh, trading him, which I think came as a shock to exactly nobody, uh, Horford specifically was interested in going back to Boston. And it didn't work out during the season, but it did work out. Um, obviously in the off season with the Kemba Walker to OKC for a cup of coffee trade. Um, and Horford just seems so excited to be back on this team. Uh, I think he really can serve well as a mentor for the Jays. I know I've kind of said this ad nauseum, but he he's pumped to be back in Boston. And I think the guys are pretty pumped to have him back as well.
0: I mean, I'm I think that the culture reset is huge. Um, so I don't want to stray away from the fact that Jalen Brown's wrist looks really healthy. I think that that's huge considering what the fate of this last iteration of Celtics was vis a vis losing to the Nets in the playoffs. Um, I'm pretty pumped that Jalen is healthy. It looks like Juancho Hernangomez is healthy. Justin? Yeah, he
2: confirmed that basically he has no issues with his, his lingering, well, not lingering shoulder issue.
1: Also, I believe today is Wancho's birthday, so happy birthday, Wancho. Absolutely.
2: It's Tuesday we're we'll recording, just in case you're confused.
0: Cool. Very feliz cumpleaños, Wancho. Uh, righty. so I think that that is, given the state of the Celtics last year, all the COVID and all the disruptions, a clean bill of health, coach notwithstanding, feels like a really important takeaway from what is otherwise kind of a silly day. The second takeaway... That, before,
1: before we do the second oh, sure. takeaway, I just want to mention also that um, Rob Williams, I you you got that big contract extension in the offseason, buddy. I think you have enough money now to buy your own Gatorade rather than taking it off the table. I'm just
2: throwing that out there. <laughs> he loves that stuff, man. He really, really does.
0: Hey, you got to have a thing. Everyone's got to have a thing. I'm so sick of the Lopez brothers and their mascots. I think stealing the promotional fake Gatorades is, is a great bit. All right. Uh, thing number two. Coach Ima Udoka's accountability came up several times in interviews. There were mentions, not only that Udoka is, I guess, a bit of a hard ass. Jalen Brown said that he has his quote unquote full attention, but there was some implicit, I don't want to say slights at Brad Stevens, but you can't not think about who used to be these players, coaches. So Justin, I'm going to go back to you. Am I overreading that? This is praise for Udoka and a bit of a telling on Stevens, or this is all about Udoka's style?
2: I wouldn't say it was. It didn't at all feel to me like it was telling on Brad Stevens. For all we know, Brad Stevens himself checked out. There was, there was a lot of reasons to be stressed out with the Boston Celtics and in the world in the last year or so. So I don't necessarily want to try to crawl inside the heads of anyone. In terms of reading between the lines there, there, there were – Definitely some issues in terms of, of fostering a, shall we say a community of accountability with the Celtics last season. And there were a lot of reasons why that was, but I will say that for whatever reason, it seemed that not just Jalen, but a lot of the players are really excited about the potential for a culture reset, regardless of, of where we want to apportion blame for what happened last season.
0: Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on, Justin. And one thing that I want to throw out there is also that this idea of the full attention thing. So with regard to that, you know, I think that also might just be a reality of their respective leadership styles between Udoka and Stevens. You know, Brad Stevens, the kind of read that we got on Brad Stevens throughout the past eight years of his tenure was Mr. Calm, Mr. Cool, Mr. Collected um rarely if ever showed like substantial emotion on the sideline and you know I think that was good in a lot of ways for some things it's helpful to have a coach that doesn't get uh too involved in the moment in kind of critical situations where you need to have your head on straight but that, cause that, for me at least, and I think for some of the players as well, can also be frustrating at times when maybe players need a little bit of fire. Maybe players need a little bit more motivation on that sideline. And Udoka is very much the opposite. I mean, if we're just going off of his days as a player, Udoka made his name as a defensive, feisty grinder type who would get up in people's faces and, you know, just make their lives hell for however many minutes he was on the floor. And I think as an assistant coach, um, he also kind of brought a high level of energy and enthusiasm and fire uh, to his kind of day-to-day work. So uh, it, it might be less uh, of a like slight at Brad Stevens and more of a just general commentary on the differences in leadership styles between those two. And I wouldn't be shocked if Udoka's brand of leadership is frankly a little bit more to Jalen's tastes, given what we know about Jalen generally,
0: I mean, throughout the the years of the Brad Stevens era, largely the results have been good, or last year just unbelievably tragic. But sprinkled in there, there have been locker room fights, supposedly, and players only meetings, supposedly, and. I mean, remember last year, the yelling and the chair throwing and the stuff that we kind of excused because it was a really tense year? I wonder if that uh, stuck with the players maybe more than it stuck with us. And so this idea that there might be its such a overused way of framing things in sports, but like an alpha leading the locker room by way of a coach, no offense to Brad, I don't know that he was the guy to really – Snap things into place in a way that maybe someone with a stronger voice or a more imposing leadership style might be able to. I don't know. That, that's really conjecture on my part.
2: I, I don't know if it's uh, necessarily that so much as even in a normal course of events through a long tenure with a team, eventually people start to tune you out. And yeah. there's that Larry Bird quote that we've discussed on previous. Podcast that coaches have about three years. I mean, we're talking about, you know, he, I think he was basically referencing Bill Fitch, which is one, a Hall of Fame coach. And maybe, maybe one day Brad will be a Hall of Fame coach, probably not, considering as much as he was a very successful coach in his time, with Boston yeah. didn't necessarily do Hall of Fame things. But I mean, if a Hall of Fame coach can have some, someone like Larry Bird say that about them, who he still credits as one of the most important influences in Bird's career. Uh, I think there's just something about where if you hear somebody's voice all the time, you just start to tune them out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never listen to you guys when you talk on the podcast. <laughs> That's about right. All right. thing number... <laughs> It's funny because it's true. Thing number three, uh, and I, this was my takeaway. I picked this one. Marcus Smart's enthusiasm for being the top point guard. It got brought up a lot. He liked to talk about it a lot. He seemed per usual, like he was driving the energy and the enthusiasm at this event. But I suppose on this podcast included, there was questions about whether or not smart would be the lead point guard, at least on the outset of the season. And it seems like that answer, that question has answered itself. So Justin, again, I'm going to go to you just because you were tuned in most of media day. Am I right that that is something that was heavily implied or am I overreacting? I mean, he's getting
2: the ball. I mean, he, it's yeah. his, it's his job to lose to start. He was probably the most positive about that and what he can do. Uh, crucially, he also framed as how he's going to get the ball to where, I think I'm going to paraphrase here, it needs to go Jalen and Jason. So yeah. that is that is super important in terms of everybody really knowing their role. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, uh, as an aside, um, really sounded to similarly echo this. He did not sound like someone who's going to try to be you know, upsetting the apple cart for personal reasons, quite the opposite but there was a little bit of, I don't know how to characterize it, but unhappiness is not quite the right word. Tension maybe is the right word regarding smart talking about last season. And I don't know. There was just, there was something there. He, he really made it clear he was ready to move on. And as much as I think everyone, like the, the whole cultural reset, whether they said it explicitly or not, there is a great enthusiasm as a thread between all of the interviews that I witnessed uh, about the excitement for next season, which is it's all pretty exciting. Cool.
0: Uh, Alex, I'm, I want to stick with the smart thing. And I yeah. just want to point out that he hasn't really been the starting point guard in a basketball setting since college. And lots of that is not because he hasn't earned the job so much as the Celtics went out and got starting point guards on the trade market. So where do you read the smart point guard situation
1: I mean, I have been in on this basically since the offseason started, if you'll remember back to a couple of previous podcasts. Um, I love it. I think Marcus's natural position is point guard. And so I have been waiting for this day for a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, he hasn't gotten the opportunity to play play starting point guard full-time for any season really that he's been on the Celtics except maybe the second half of his rookie year after they traded Rajon Rondo but that team was very bad um, but I do think that in the time that he has been in plugged into the starting lineup uh, with you know it, I mean Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving both got injured plenty while they were here. So in the times when Marcus was forced into that starting lineup and took on that de facto point guard role, he did it quite well. And I think that in particular, having Marcus up at the one as a lead playmaker emphasizes some of his strengths and gets him in a position where, so one of the big criticisms of Marcus's game is that his shooting percentage kind of is volatile and that it doesn't particularly stay stable. And he's gotten better over the course of the past few years to the point where he's now about a league average shooter. But a lot of Marcus's shots come in like end of possession situations where he's had to watch somebody else dribble around for you know, 15 seconds and is getting the ball in a late clock situation with somebody closing out on him. And, you know, Marcus Smart has dramatically improved as a shooter, but those quality shots are just very hard to hit for anybody who isn't an elite shooter. Marcus Smart is not an elite shooter. He's a decent shooter. So I'm actually really excited because Marcus initiating the offense hopefully means that he's going to be in less of those situations where he's the bailout guy, where he's the guy um, who takes the shot when everything else breaks down, because he's going to be driving some of these initial actions. Um, I I think one thing that I am keeping an eye on is can Marcus improve his end-to-end foot speed because he's Mm -hmm. he's never really been the fastest guy on the court except for when it needs to get a chase down block in the eastern conference semifinals um but i think if marcus can kind of work on building up his speed with the ball and general his in general his tightness with the handle i think this has the potential to unlock a side of marcus smart's game that could push him and here i'm getting into an interesting place I think it could push him if everything goes right into the fringe all-star conversation.
0: I said it, it's out there. <laughs> cool. I love that. I love that so much. Whoa. I'm just going to let that float in the air for like a minute longer. Cause it's so fun to think about. All right. Uh, <laughs> wow. Cool. Uh, so another takeaway that I had that now doesn't feel as important. No offense to Dennis is uh, that Dennis the menace seemed really happy to be in Boston. He seemed really honest with his time he was one of the few players wearing a mask, which we will talk about. But shelving that, and Justin, I'm going to have you go first again. It does seem like, A, Schroeder, very happy to be there. B, very happy to specifically be part of this organization. And C, I saw it reported that the, the Jays were in on his free agency push. So confirm and deny, Justin. And then also, what do you think that means?
2: Uh, he... Did seem to be incredibly excited to be there as I I was alluding to earlier. And yeah, there there is talk of the the Jays being a big part of the reason why he came. He seemed really excited to play with them. Again, this is something that bodes well for you know, kind of like the hierarchy recognized in the team from the outset, less questions, less potential for things that have derailed promising Celtic seasons in the past. Uh, he said he wanted to be there for a long time. And I'm not sure if he, how aware he is of the, how the CBA limits, how he would be able to be paid with the Celtics. So uh, maybe yeah. a long time for him is a very relative term, uh, like beyond the trade deadline. Maybe that's a long time. Um, but he, he really did seem pretty excited to be there. He downplayed uh, the, the situation with his free agency as being such a big deal to him. Uh, very you know, publicly mature for him, very, it's good that he can really manage um, his media presence in a way that, like, it seemed really genuine. I don't know if I would be able to do that after losing out on that much money, so kudos to him for that, uh, but I, I have to say that I feel a lot more excited about his tenure with the team after seeing him and hearing him talk about his future with the team.
0: Cool. So, Alex, I, I want us to swing to you because you just Told us that Smart is going to be an all-star, maybe perhaps, hopefully, definitely. And that assumes that probably he's really getting a lot of touches and playing a, a big role on the team, which I think, you know, we are expecting. Let me ask you what you think Schroeder's role becomes in that frame. And one thing that I just want to add, which I think logically I knew, but I had never seen written down, is that Schroeder and Smart are listed as both six foot three, but Smart supposedly has 40 pounds on Schroeder, which I think I think I knew, just like if you thought about it, but doing the math rather, I mean, reading B-Rob's tweet, um, that, those are two different players. Uh, and, I mean, how do you dude,
2: think he handles those centers in the post? True.
0: I mean, yeah, I barely, they, I barely wait 40 pounds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your initial question, Cam, I actually am pretty excited about Schroeder on this team as well, especially for the contract that we got him. But um, the thing that Schroeder really brings to this team that I think they lacked a lot of last year is that Schroeder is excellent at rim pressure. He is really good at getting downhill with the ball, using his speed and first step and attacking the rim and creating stuff out of that. Um, That's something that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are pretty good at, but as they've increasingly developed more jump shot separation and ability to get their shot wherever they want it, we've kind of seen less and less of them attacking the rim with that reckless abandon that uh, gets those kind of touches. And we'll we'll get to that a little bit later with regard to Jason Tatum, but um, Schroeder by contrast, is all about attacking the rim. That's his primary offensive focus and. I'm pretty excited for him to come in as a six man and bring that rim pressure. I also think that there is a reasonable chance that Schroeder will close a lot of games, depending on kind of what the matchup is looking for. If the C's need somebody on the floor, who can bring that kind of pressure, I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of closing lineups with Schroeder, Smart, Jalen, Jason all on the floor at the yeah. same time. And the one more thing I'll, I'll throw out there about Schroeder is that he's actually a surprisingly, uh, people kind of don't really think about this aspect of his game, but he's a surprisingly decent jump shooter as well. Um, I don't have the statistics in front of me right now, but um, it's when I, when I saw them uh, the other day, I, noticed, I thought that they were, like his three point and shooting percentage is generally higher than I think I thought it would be. So I think of Schroeder as a high energy six man who can close games in some situation, in some situations. And uh, I think that's something that the Celtics really sorely lacked last year. So I'm excited for him to bring that to the squad. And it does have to be mentioned, you know, and uh, Al Horford, he, he, he did mention that Al Horford was his vet in Atlanta, so to speak. And those guys do have pre-existing chemistry from their time in Atlanta together. I would not be surprised if, for example, the first unit with lots of bench guys features pretty heavily the Schroeder Horford connection as the kind of focal point of those bench unit offenses.
0: Yeah. It occurs to me that you have unlocked just how deep the Celtics can be and we will, uh, explore that probably in future podcasts is yeah, Schroeder at times, I think has shot close to 40% in some seasons, other times way less than that. So when it's right, it's right for him. When it's not cooking, it's a little uninspired. He does have that like very formulaic Rondo jump shot from the elbow that is surprisingly consistent, but it, you'd have to kind of dive into the advanced numbers and shot charts for that. So, uh, The fifth and most important takeaway, I think, from Media Day is what we said at the top, is that Coach Udoka is now, it seems like, on the mend, but had a positive COVID case, a breakthrough case. And the takeaway for me that we're going to pause here to talk about, not just from a Celtics frame, but overall, is that this is going to be a season perhaps very much so defined by COVID and safety protocols and missed times and all that comes with that. So my fifth takeaway that I have on my list is that I just wrote COVID stuff. Um, so let's pause here. Let's talk about first what we think we know about the Celtics and their vaccination situation legally, what the situation on the ground in Boston is. And then also we'll open it up to the rest of the NBA. That'll that be our pivot point because that was the prevailing story for most people, I think. Uh, Justin, I'll let you go first, because again, just from like reporting the news, what do we know about COVID and the Celtics?
2: So we do know that they are, again, going back to that Sullivan piece, uh, they are one of the teams that are mentioned to have multiple holdouts. We don't know all of them for sure. There may be something to do with who was wearing a mask on media. They may be not because, I mean, it's it seems there, there were... A fair mix of people who were and were not wearing them, some of whom mentioned um, having been vaccinated in the past. But the one thing that I do want to draw attention to is this style of messaging, which was not just the Celtics, it was around the league. People, it sounds like the, the players' union maybe sent a memo and people were just kind of you know echoing it in solidarity, regardless of their own personal feelings. Um, you know, in that Sullivan article, uh, Grant Williams talks about how, even though he has been a one of the, f- the handful of, you know, vocal advocates for the vaccine, that there was this just general, it's a personal decision kind of a thing, and yeah, it's not a personal decision. I wrote an op-ed, I'd never write op-eds uh, on Celtics Wire, talking about how you know, it's public health and public health decisions are by their very nature, not personal decisions. There is no stretch of the imagination in which it is a personal decision. It is a personal decision that you make for yourself. Absolutely. And we we need to respect people's agency when we try to get people to consider the vaccine. But if we want to see more players being vaccinated, and we don't want to hear these, you know, tepid, uh, uninspiring, and frankly disappointing responses from players. Then we need to recognize that there are real-world impacts from people choosing not to do this. And as Udoka's uh, situation can show, you can pick it up and you can spread it, and that can kill people. You know. I have family members who just got out of the hospital, praise be whatever you pray to that are no longer uh, in imminent risk of losing their life because of that kind of behavior and that kind of attitude. So I just want to really push back hard on the idea that it is a personal choice. It's a personal choice for you to make it or not, but it's a personal choice that affects lots of other people. And so in the sense that it's personal, it's only personal on whether or not you want to give a crap about the people around you. I'm off my soapbox.
1: Just to get back on the soapbox for you there, Justin, I completely agree. And, you know, to put this in perspective, that maybe some other people might understand um, from a legal framework, there's, the, there's this concept that many people kind of grapple with over the course of their understanding about the United States and what rights you are guaranteed by mem- by virtue of being a United States citizen. And there's much ado about this in the history of Supreme Courts and other laws and precedents and things like that. But in general, the guiding rule of thumb that you can apply to almost any legal situation when it comes to stuff like this is that is something which I believe you quoted in your article, uh, your op-ed the other day, which is, uh, your right to swing your fist ends at my nose. I love that quote. And I think it's a really, really effective way of summing up exactly what this whole personal responsibility dilemma, if you will, is about. You, your, your rights to dictate your own life and to make your own choices only go as far as your inability to affect other people's lives and choices. The second that your choice messes with somebody else's life that is when it no longer becomes your individual choice to make it is when it becomes you infringing on other people's legal rights to safety, to health, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a pretty um, simple concept and it's really, to
2: be yeah. evading people, and it's got to be at this point largely willful.
0: Yeah, I, I first of all, I, I'm in total agreement. And if anyone listening hasn't either read Matt Sullivan's Rolling Stone piece or closer to home. Justin's op-ed on Celtics Wire. I, I recommend those very highly. I had. I don't really engage with people on Twitter with political discourse. I mean, 240 characters just like really isn't enough to have a conversation. But for whatever reason, I found myself doing that because I think it was an emotional day for NBA fans. And uh, our friend Q Alberti from USA Today and Slam. And love I love Q I had,
1: by the way. Great guy.
0: We love Q uh, on this pod. I personally love Q. We disagreed a number of times specifically about how to change someone's mind. And ultimately today, actually, Kent Bazemore's little anecdote that, you know, he approached the Lakers, he didn't want to get vaccinated, he felt respected and listened to, and the the calmness with which that conversation was had allowed him to to hear new voices. So I, I think interpersonally that's important. And critical. What I have a, a tough time with is public figures being a little too chesty about their ignorance. Uh, being arrogant about ignorance is a really off-putting thing. Uh, as a teacher, I, I bet you could believe that I feel that in my bones. And for players like Bradley Beal, for players like Kyrie Irving, for uh, Andrew Wiggins to arrive at an a event called Media Day where the whole event is about communication and sharing thoughts. And to arrive with the existential question of the 21st century with, I haven't done my research yet and you should respect my privacy, is frankly not good enough. Go live in the woods. You're a public figure. You get paid to be a public figure. This is media day. We're not talking about basketball here. We're talking about media. And for you to roll up as a role model and a well-paid one, and to arrogantly suggest I haven't made my mind up yet, respects my privacy, misses the mark of who you are in this Let picture. Me
2: push back gently on that. Only because, <laughs> and I agree with you that from the public figure standpoint, and this is, this is something I addressed in that the op-ed a bit. And even though I agree with you to a certain extent, they did not, with one particular exception perhaps, uh, which I don't even necessarily want to get into because the bulk of the, the Fuhrer, uh, came about because people asked them these questions. They asked them questions about their medical history, which they are not under any obligation to share. And if they okay. wanted, and they should have been, you know, they, they they are not, it's not HIPAA covered, you know. Brian, Brian Bernardoni made a point of saying something about this recently, which is true, that they... Can if they would like to share their information, they don't have to, and they can they can just do the thing where you know part of the diatribe that we heard from from many a person uh, on media day was it's a personal choice, and it is a personal choice. It is a personal choice that they don't have to talk about, and they could say I would rather not talk about that. Next question. That's all they had to say. Anything else they added to it was them deciding to wade into something that you know I agree with you and. Ultimately, the the Bazemore situation, I think, is really, really, really important to pay attention to because guilt and shame just like there are incidences where guilt and shame does change people's minds. It does Mm -hmm. change institutions' mind. Pressure, particularly on institutions and not people, but on institutions like the NBPA, for example, Mm -hmm. can be effective. But the most effective thing on an individual situation is to remove the optics, right? Make it not a public debate, make it a personal debate, ask questions, find out what the problems are, get them to talk to people that they they trust or that they should trust about that, get them the information they need, and when all else fails, employer mandates.
1: Uh, Fair points all around, I think. And I'm glad that we're having a robust conversation on this. Just to loop it back to specifically what our concerns about the Boston Celtics are. So what we do know based off of Media Day, and correct me if I'm wrong here, JQ, is that for sure, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart have gotten the vaccine. Now, they may have done so begrudgingly or without much enthusiasm, but they have gotten it. Um, As far as other players on the team, while we haven't gotten explicit confirmation from anybody else, there is some kind of reasonable suspicion that I think a good chunk of the team is at this point fully vaccinated with one to two holdouts, maybe. Um, With regard to those holdouts, Obviously, one of them is Josh Richardson, who Mm -hmm. specifically mentioned that yesterday. Although there was a tidbit that came out today which suggests that Josh Richardson is not necessarily against the idea of getting the vaccine in the future. He just wants to learn more about it and is potentially heading that way. So to loop this back to your point that you were just saying, Justin, that's exactly why, just speaking for myself here, I am so glad that Grant Williams is still on this team because Grant has been a terrific advocate. Shout out to you, Grant, for vaccine awareness and for spreading that awareness in a manner built off of like relationships and kind of growth and building things forward rather than shaming people. He's been, I think, a terrific ambassador for this. So Grant, I don't know if you're listening. I don't know if you'll ever listen, but I just want to give you a quick shout out um, you're doing a great job. And if you can change your teammates' minds on this subject, I applaud you for that. So kudos to Grant Williams.
0: So I just want to hop back in and it, t- it ties into the Josh Richardson piece with Justin. I-, I-, I know that legally you are correct and empirically you are correct. I-, I will push back and say that as a professional athlete, your availability and your health are fair game you have every right to say, I prefer to not answer that question to anything from COVID status to a broken leg. But the currency of the business is, does your body work and can you put it on a basketball court? And if your body is susceptible to COVID because you have not been vaccinated and vaccinated people can get COVID too, that uh, that informs whether or not you were playing basketball as a Boston Celtic this year or not, or, or could the, anyway, yeah, or could. And in the case of, Players who play in New York or uh, Golden State at the moment, your availability becomes that much more tantamount. So uh, perhaps I overset my bounds as a role model, but I again I do think that we were allowed to wonder about Jalen's wrist till the cows came home. I understand that this is not apples yourself. to apples, but yeah. it's still part of the the profession that you belong to, and I think that again. There are lots of unvaccinated players who either we don't know that yet because they didn't make a big deal out of it. And I thought Richardson was very gracious with a, a stance I disagree with very much, which was I'm not. He
2: handled it well, I think.
0: Right. So uh, I think my particular scorn was directed at the players that, as you identified, took it to as a moment to push back against something that is not really an issue that there's. <laughs> multiple valid opinions on as far as I can tell. So let's shelf that because we are, that was more than I think we expected to talk about, but that's, that's media day this year in a nutshell was that was the taste that was left in everyone's mouth. It wasn't Jersey patches. The Vista print one is ugly. It wasn't, It's really uh, ugly. it wasn't Indiana Pacers uniforms. They were beautiful. It was who has the vaccine? Who doesn't, who knows how to talk about it? Who doesn't. And, From a Celtics frame, I think that that was one of the big takeaways. I mean, the coach wasn't there because of COVID. And across the league, it really did dominate. So we will, humble listeners, talk about this more in the coming weeks uh, by design and by necessity. So we will pause on the COVID stuff and quickly close with just a little bit of other stuff from media day across the country. And I would hazard that the biggest bit of news because media today is pretty silly is not that ben simmons technically is still a philadelphia 76er it's that michael porter jr is very much so a denver nugget the young man with his own views on certain things that we might have just talked about just uh agreed to quite the extension alex your hand went up immediately go
1: yeah. So um, I have a very good friend from college who is a Denver Nuggets fan, and I talk to him about uh, the Nuggets and the Celtics somewhat regularly. And, you know, despite his uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s views on vaccination, which my friend disagrees with, uh, he was pumped to have Michael Porter Jr. locked up. And I think Nuggets fans in general are going to be leaving this summer feeling pretty good in spite of the pretty devastating Jamal Murray injury that happened last season because their core four. Of Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr., a group that was frankly blowing teams off of the floor in the brief stint when they were all together, uh, is locked in for the next few years, and they have they have a real title window now for the foreseeable future. I think a lot, of course, depends on Jamal Murray coming back healthy and being ready to jump into that role immediately, but. If Jamal Murray can get back either this season or next season to 100% of what he was or even 90%, the Nuggets are going to be a serious, serious threat because I got news for y'all. Michael Porter Jr. is only getting better. He was really, really good at the end of last season. A little struggled for sure, a little in the Phoenix Suns series where uh, Suns and Four ultimately swept. The Denver Nuggets uh, in a very beat up and injured Nuggets team, I might add. But um, that core four is going to be, I think, a locked in top three seed in the West for at least a few years, as long as Jokic and Murray and Porter and Gordon are all on the floor. It does mean that um, the Denver Nuggets are now heading into an era where they are going to be paying probably the biggest tax bill they've ever paid as a franchise. So things are going to get expensive in Denver, and they might be in a situation where they're going to be struggling to fill out the end of their bench and get role players necessary to go deep into the playoffs. But I will say, even though Denver is not particularly notable as a free agency destination, I do think that Nikola Jokic – being the player that he is, is going to attract some guys there that maybe we wouldn't otherwise expect some no. ring chaser types because Jokic is just so unbelievably good at getting the most out of his teammates. Particularly, I think you could see a situation where Denver becomes a hot spot. For reclamation project dudes that are trying to restore their value after down seasons, Jokic will get the most out of them. So I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you should be pretty excited about that extension.
2: I'll add that uh, I'm very surprised that they actually went in on Aaron Gordon because it's just been the style of so many teams, including the Milwaukee Bucks recently, even though they kind of righted the ship afterwards to kind of cut corners at a critical moment. And yep. for them to, to go all in, and not just you know, all in for the three best players, but you know, really spend on a full roster, it's good to see because it gives other teams someone to point to, and we can stop seeing you know, these stingy billionaires stop saying, oh, I better not spend something. It's just it's, it, that crap needs to stop. It's, it's ruined so many good teams that could have been so much sooner.
0: So the Nuggets are owned by the Cronky couple um here's part of their sports portfolio they own arsenal uh they own arsenal uh women's football club they own the rams they own the nuggets they own the colorado avalanche the nhl they own the colorado rapids of major league soccer they own the colorado mammoth the uh lacrosse team they own the la gladiators and overwatch team and they own a call of duty team which is to say that uh yeah, they have they have the money. I don't really I, I I think there are some owners that like the MBA is their business and they have to be stingy. I think that the the crunkies, I think is how you say their names. I think that first of all, it seems like they love sports. Maybe they're cool, but seems like they can <laughs> just from like a policy perspective, they're not cool. Um seems like they have the money to foot the bill. So uh Well,
1: to that end, Kim, they they have the money both independently and that the Cronkies are absurdly rich and arguably not that cool for for virtue of being that absurdly rich and how they got there. Um, But the other thing to take into account is that I think ownership is correctly reading the tea leaves when it comes to the future of the NBA and specifically their mammoth TV deal to come. I would, ex- I would yep. expect that a lot of these moves were made in anticipation of a big fat cap spike that is coming down the pipe pretty soon. So I think ultimately, these this team looks really expensive right now. I think it's going to be only reasonably expensive fairly soon. Uh,
0: I think they are the fourth most expensive team in the league moving forward behind the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nets. I think I have that right. Sounds about right. Uh, another expensive team for the moment is the Philadelphia 76ers, but perhaps any second now, perhaps in a few weeks, they will at least change their their cap sheet. Uh, any thoughts on the Ben Simmons-Sixers stuff? Or, yeah, Alex, you got one?
1: The only thing that was of interest is that a piece came out today. And, oh God, I can't for the life of me to remember who it was by. I read it just before I uh, just before I got in my car to drive home from work. Um, but there is a piece that suggested that the Ben Simmons trade to come is, and this might be just PR on behalf of uh, either Simmons or Philly. I don't really know who, but that it's more being driven by Simmons than it is by the Philadelphia 76ers. And if we think about media day yesterday and Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey putting on a big face and saying they want to have Ben Simmons there for the foreseeable future, and they're hoping that he comes back, uh, that there might be something there that Simmons is more the one driving this trade. And that the, that the piece mentioned, I think it was Kevin O'Connor, now that I think about it, of the bringer, the piece mentioned in particular, that Simmons is not necessarily asking out because of animosity or grudges that he's holding towards the uh, organization or because Rich Paul is shadow masterminding this. It's more because Simmons has perhaps correctly read that he's always going to be the second guy in Philly and that he yeah. wants to basically go to a place where he can be top dog, number one, have a Ben Simmons team. Um, The Kings. Yeah, like the Kings, maybe. I don't know, for example. But I mean, I think that that does track and that kind of tracks with what we've been saying about the Ben Simmons and Bede relationship for a while now, that ultimately the best version of Ben Simmons is probably a guy who is the number one guy on a team. Now, whether that team is going to be any good or not, who's to say? But that might inform not only um, kind of how this relationship fractured, but potentially where Simmons could go. Because, you know, if you think about some of the teams that are being listed as possible Simmons candidates, there might be some questions as to whether he is that number one guy. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. No real developments. I fully expect that Ben Simmons is going to sit out until he gets traded probably around December or January when more uh, kind of available packages open up. But that, that's that's, kind of, of, that's where my head is at right now.
2: He's never been worth less and it's not necessarily his fault. It's not necessarily the 76ers fault. I don't know if they really do want him back, want him back. I think they just want him back God, enough no. to improve his value. Exactly. To improve his value enough to get something actually useful back And there's just nobody on the market at the moment who is going to fit that bill, you know? So it's either not have him play or have him play and have him play is clearly better than not having him play, at least ostensibly. Uh, I just want to reiterate, Ben, if you're listening, I know you're not, but if you are uh, just, you know, keep launching those shots, come back, throw the ball into the stands. Every time you touch it, you'll get your way pretty quick.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Sixers said and did everything they were supposed to. I guess maybe not comparing the situation to this election, <laughs> stolen election or whatever Doc Rivers is trying to say. But it's just a stupid and ugly situation. Um, I think I saw today that the Sixers are the most – in Vegas, the Sixers are the most likely team for Ben to start the season with, then the Kings, then the Nuggets, then the Warriors. So, yeah, he's not going anywhere. Uh, all right, we. I guess – We've been here long enough. I have one thing to say about David Letterman. Is there anything from Media Day that you you guys want to address before we do that?
1: The only thing that I want to throw out there is that um, Zion Williamson gave a fairly tepid response when he was asked whether he wants to be in New Orleans long term. He did say that he loves it in New Orleans. He did not say anything to the effect of how he feels about the New Orleans Pelicans organization. So I just want to keep an eye on that one.
0: True. Very true. All right. Uh, I thought the David Letterman thing was so stupid. It generated so much buzz. It wasn't funny. And it was clearly just a smoke screen. So we didn't talk about Kyrie when Kevin Durant was up at the mic because it wasn't interesting. They didn't even like really get that many good photos of David Letterman or like a nice photo of Letterman and Kevin Durant after the fact. If that was supposed to be cheeky on its own two legs, it was not well executed. And I suspect it was a really easy way to drum up some sort of narrative that like, what sort of, I don't know, how old is the average NBA fan? Like 15 years old. Why do they want David Letterman asking a, really dry question about Kevin Durant's nickname. It's just so stupid.
1: That's my question, man. Why, like, all the optics of this stupid thing aside, why Letterman? Letterman hasn't been relevant in that. Uh, sorry, David Letterman, you were great at your peak, but relevant, Letterman hasn't done anything meaningful in years. Like, if you're going to do a big comedian-based publicity stunt, you know, go go find out what, like, John Mullaney is doing or something like that. Get somebody that people actually, like think about on a day-to-day basis david letterman i mean i guess maybe he was the only guy available but just seems very dumb
0: all right well on that note what a media day uh the celtics are looking healthy they're looking happy they are looking deep they are looking reasonably well vaccinated compared to the rest of the american public and that is something that we will talk about if not next week the following week so thank you everyone for listening we if you haven't noticed we have a big thing coming up so please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss it if you are in the dc area go check out dc9 this friday night to watch alex slap some bass and otherwise we will check you all next week
1: adios